You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. As you're saying, Jack, I bought some on Impulse, but I've never touched them. They've been in my cupboard for like a year and a half. Is this a shoe that some have a moral compass regarding? Is that what we're talking about? Alpha Fly. No, it's more like if I ever wear them, I can never go back. That's the problem. Because I'll think, that's not me. If I do a PB, I can't then not run in them, can I? Because I'll just feel rubbish. Road Mile and Road 5K, I'm, I'm not going to use them in because I have my historical PRs that I don't want to touch. But for anything longer than that, I'm going to use them for because I don't have any established times for that. See, I've never run a mile. Maybe we do the <laughs> two times. Um, you've never run a mile. Natasha, the last uh, mile repeats I, I assigned you, you ran like 540s. I know, but that was six. That wasn't just one out hard, was it? Yeah, heaven forbid. I imagine one out hard, you and Bracken might be, you know, in a battle right now. <laughs> I'll sit on her and I'll kick her at the end. Hopefully. If I wear alpha flies and he doesn't, maybe I'll have a shot. <laughs> then I'm in Smart. trouble. N- Natasha. You go on. Uh, you're the second person that we've spoken with that lives across the big pond. That's not true. I'm, like we said earlier, I'm the first human you've had on from UK. John Alban does not count. <laughs> oh, that was your reference. Yeah. Because he's, he's superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's human for the first time this year. What happened to him this year? With his stress fracture and recovery. Oh, yeah. And he gained weight like a human would during an off season and... Is his first sign of, of humanity. <laughs> How long will it last? The minute he starts being able to run again, he'll just destroy everyone. Yeah, he's back now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is good to see, though, not that it's good to see somebody you really respect hurt because it's not, but to see somebody that you think is bulletproof actually take a hit once in a while, I don't know, gives you a little more perspective, right? We always look up to those, like, like Ryan Atkins. Can you remember Ryan Atkins ever being hurt, ever? He fell off of a wall rock climbing once, right? And hurt his foot. I can't think of one other thing. Oh, so that's an accident. That's not even... It's an accident. Yeah. <laughs> he got that blood infection when he tried running that, that something crazy like 300K a day or something. Remember that? Yeah, he ended up in the hospital. He thought it was a stress... Re- he had a stress reaction and a blood infection at the same time. Oh, nice. So he does it, when he does get something, he goes all in. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But he was racing a month later, so I don't know. I asked you guys this question once. I think you said right early on about you're always teetering on the edge of injury if you're pushing yourself. And I messaged you saying, touch wood, I've never had a proper injury, apart from once in a marathon when I I sprained my calf. But that was gone once I saw the physio, like once. And I was like, am I not pushing my limits hard enough? (laughs) Well, I will tell you something, and we are going to get into this with you, but you got injured in a different way. I did, yeah. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that later, but that would maybe be your version of a stress fracture True. in a sense. True. So we'll, we'll leave them hanging on that one for a minute. That, that one question, though, is worth addressing. Should you be on the verge of injury if you're training hard? And I would say n- that's not the golden standard. No. <laughs> no, but you're, you're messing up my words. It was, it was more like if you're not sort of nursing something, First of all, you'd be an anomaly. And second, it would tell me that you're most likely not training that high volume because 
even the healthiest of people have their eye on something usually at most times. Yeah. Is that enough there, Bracken? Something's always talking to you. Yeah. But I just want to be clear that because people will, some, someone will always misunderstand your statement that we are not advocating you're not training hard until you're injured. No, you just did that out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say I've usually been in phenomenal shape every time I get injured. So it's probably a correlation there with the whole deal. Yeah. We should we should tell people who we're talking to today because we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., Natasha, that might not know who you are. You're, we're talking to Natasha Manzel. Where do you live, Natasha? Uh, UK, like Hampshire, not near London, like an hour and a half from London. That's close for you guys. But for UK, that's quite far from London. Yeah. An hour and a half. Bracken and I live five hours apart, six I hours remember, apart. Yeah. I said to you, I'm about seven hours from the Lake District. So if anyone knows the Lake District and you're like, you could just drive there on a weekend and just do a run. I was like, no, that's a holiday destination. <laughs> Bracken just drove there to see me this weekend. You did a drive. I know, right? Well, it's, I was talking to a, a, a guy I work with, Christopher Shipley. He's from the UK as well. Yeah, I know. And, and so yesterday he and I had a, a Zoom call to go over his training and he said oh you're not that you're not too far from ohio from the where ocr worlds used to be i said yeah we're about seven hours oh never mind that's that's countries away no no we drive that yeah but that shows how small it is like i know that name and i know a few uh, the you've got some other uk athletes haven't you kirk and we all know each other's name because it's so small yeah it's like a half dozen you know yeah all of our races you get everyone at them because it's like basically every race is a national series race because we've got so few and where everyone travels to them because it's only seven hours probably top to bottom. It's kind of sad. We're all like over in the States, maybe I'm maybe I'm the exception at the rule, but I feel like we all are just in our own world over here. And over in like the UK, you know so much about what we have going on and even our geography. And I'm like, where is London even located in the UK? Like I, you know what I mean? Like, and you guys could pinpoint, we're kind of like one-sided that way. Maybe Bracken, you're a teacher. You're more studied than I am, but. Nope. <laughs> no. yeah, but that's because we're nope. fans of all you lot. And you get, you know, we get to watch you on telly. And I said to Kirk, like, oh my God, what what are you going to talk to me about? I was like, but I don't care. I just want to talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> I know you already. Well, and you and you've hosted, or you've been, you've kind of played around in the podcast world. So you're comfortable on the mic, right? I, I jumped on with Jack and Luke a few times as co-host, like quite a long time ago. But yeah, not anymore. Too busy now. I'm afraid to commit to. I don't know how you guys do it, but yeah, it, it, it didn't feel like we were actually. Once you're doing it, it just feels like you're having a chat, doesn't it? So it's quite nice. But I've never been this side of the mic. Oh, we're going to make it good today. Well, to fill people in, so Natasha, you've been an athlete of mine for, I don't know, how long? I'm up to a year now, isn't it? A year? I think close to a year. And I've bragged on your behalf to Bracken a number of times, haven't I, Bracken? Mm -hmm. Early like on, early on, you said, Bracken, I started working with this girl and she is an animal. And I don't know if I knew, if like she really understands how fast she is. He tells me that and I'm like, no, I'm not. But... <laughs> So part of the reason I want to interview you is one, you like, I want to get to know you as an athlete and, and your backstory because you came to running later and like way late in life. Cause I believe we're close to the same age. How old are you? 37, nearly 38. Yeah. And I'm 38, literally like in two days from when this thing comes out. So, um, but you found it real recently. You've managed to get accomplished. You've gone through your trials and tribulations, but also like, you're somebody who everybody should know. And you never had that chance last year because the racing season got pulled out of us. I know, right? from underneath us. So 
it's like I'm setting you up right now, so everybody's looking at you once you get on the race course, Natasha. No pressure. We did all right on the trails though last year, didn't we? It was a pre and PBs and time trials, so it was still a really good year. It just wasn't the year that we had plans. <laughs> yeah, I know, but 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 yeah, you crushed it. But before we get into like you, I actually just want to like just for like the US listeners and everything, like what is the racing climate like over? in you know europe and the uk and all that like what are you guys doing over there for racing what's the like situation compared to here in the us gosh at the minute um our our spartan season got really postponed so the first one is meant to be end of june um trail races have started happening though a few have been cancelled like i had one booked end of this month in wales that was cancelled and but it's very much time trial so you kind of turn up you register, you go off, but you know, it's over a few hours. So that's got its own dynamic because you're not racing head to head with people. But I think that's quite good mentally. I learned my lesson last year, didn't I, with one of them faffing about five seconds in a 17 mile because I was holding gates for people. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but yeah, Too nice. We'll see how Spartan. Now that's, that's not a, a British term, right? You were holding gates. You were literally stopping and holding gates open for people. Oh, thank you, polite. Yeah. I lost my five seconds. <laughs> you lost by five seconds in a 17 mile race and you were holding gates open for people. Yeah. And I stopped to take my jacket off and yeah, I, I learned not to do that again. I'm going to make that a term. When I talk to my athletes about like being locked in on race day, like we're not out here holding gates today. <laughs> That, that, that's going to be Natasha's term in the U- U.S. for us. I love my hard way. <laughs> no one is nice, Natasha. What, what kind of race course has gates on it? It was um, a trail race, which was in the Peak District. So we did have some mountainous stuff, but then we went through this estate with a beautiful house and there was loads of people out walking and the kids. And yeah, we were running through fields and there was loads of farmers gates. So, you know, you kind of go through the gate and if there's someone a bit behind, you you wait and rather than slam it at them. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> that, that's funny. I like that though. No holding gates. I should have just them. I'm meant to be an OCR racer, but. You know, when we're taking our next race seriously and we're next to each other in the start crowd bracket, we're just going to have to look at each other and be like, no holding gates today, brother. <laughs> I'm going to lace my hands together and boost you over the walls. Oh, it's like Tough Mudder. Yes. Okay. So you're talking about the racing. So is, is OCR and Spartan back, like, as you believe full swing, kind of like it is in the States now, finally? Fingers crossed in a, yeah, in about a month we'll be good to go, but that's in Wales and they haven't started any events yet. So. Well, and that's what I'm wondering, because you guys are so tight over there in Europe, like the country discrepancy, I assume each country has their own set of rules and the states are practically as big as like the you know western half of europe so like uh what do you uh, what do you do there like is there i feel like your season's still probably more up in the air than let's say ours is that fair to say yeah it is and i'm not gonna lie you talking about a marathon last week with hunter was making me go oh if it gets cancelled how quickly could i change my training to do a marathon because <laughs> it, it that's the hard thing is they don't know until close to the time so we're just having to train for a race that then might just suddenly be whipped out a week or two before and then how do you change your training for something else it's um it's quite a difficult position for us and Spartan because obviously they want to put it on but Wales is only what two and a half hours away but they've got different rules to where I am for example that's how different it is yeah we'll see fingers crossed but 
Well, we think we have things bad here in the States, but I know out your way, it's even less, less, you know, set in stone. So I was just curious about that. Yeah, we'll see. I think maybe you guys are just a bit more lax, but we're, we're you know, our vaccinations rolling out quite quickly. So hopefully that will make things open up a bit quicker. It's not a nice position to be in, is it? Just no. not knowing if it's going to happen. Natasha, are you heading to that time trial next weekend? Is that next weekend? No, I've, have I got a time trial next weekend, Kirk? No. Oh, no, there is some time trial racing, individual short course, uh, like one-on-one, head-to-head kind of stuff. Oh, is that? Okay, I've completely, I'm not. not the nuts course? Oh, okay, this shows how out of it I am at the minute. I've just been focusing on work and training, and I've got a trail race on Saturday, so I've not, I've, hands up, I've not been really, I think maybe because I've not been wanting to get my hopes off, I've been staying off social media and the race scene and just thinking, I'll just find out when I find out just take it as it comes i don't want to get my hopes up and get disappointed yeah that makes good sense. luck anyone that's doing it so Bracken, you remember when when i first got into this and started like i don't know making i'm not a name for myself because i would say i still haven't done that oh. but you'd said you'd it's true but you said i was the most i was like probably the most underrated or unrecognized like racer in the field that never really got any credit that was deserved i believe you described that i think i was fourth and fifth and sixth and three of the national series races that year nobody really still gave me any time of day right and i feel like natasha you're kind of that version in my mind overseas you really are and you still haven't had your chance to come through so like for me i think like i don't know if many people in the states know who you are maybe they do i'm not sure i knew before miracle in that she's lovely (laughs) Yeah, yeah oh yeah did you meet her yeah yeah and aaron and all of that lot yeah Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I feel like you're sort of like in a weird parallel, like the version of me over in like the European racing scene, and so that's why I was excited to get to know you. Um, I'm like a little bit more of you know a deeper level, and so I actually, as you, I'm like, how did this freaking girl get so dang fast? Who is she? How does she get here? I don't really even understand how somebody <laughs> could pick up running. At how old were you when you picked up running regularly? I think I was about 28, 29 when I first started running, but that was, you know, just trying to potter down the road and getting 100 yards and going, I can't breathe. I thought I was able to, I thought I was fit. Yeah. yeah. Like 28 or 29 years. So, and now you're out looking to break 17 in the 5K and run some crazy times, right? And I just want to know how that happens. But, but first, you got you to gotta bring us back to the start because I don't know any of this. Yeah. And so I would like to hear it. Like, where were you born? How did you, did you grow up? All that stuff. I was born not far from here, to be honest. Only, my parents are only like 20 minutes down the road. Um, so when I grew up, it, well, I wasn't really, I played sports in school, but we don't have the, the kind of same sports scene in schools that you guys do. So we didn't have cross country at my school or anything. We had something called netball where we throw a ball and you're, you're not allowed to move when you got the ball. So there wasn't too much running involved in that. Wait, what, what, what is this? Back and you nodded like you knew what this netball. was. Netball. What's netball? I don't it's get it. A little bit like basketball, but you're not allowed to run with the ball. And the, the net's not as high. It's like basketball and ultimate frisbee combined. Okay. Where you can't really move with it. It's, it's a passing-based game. Yeah, yeah. But I was very, very small. So I wasn't, when in primary school, I still remember I wasn't allowed to play because my bone age is five years behind. So, like, when I was 13, I was something like three and a half stone. I was tiny. And, uh, yeah, so I was never allowed to play. So my mum used to train the under-21s England team. So I got to play with them. So I got quite good at netball. 
Um, but yeah, that was all I really did. And I rode horses as a, a kid all the way from three to probably a few years ago. But the horse does most of the work. <laughs> Your core has to be good, but cardio wise or anything like that, you obviously aren't working particularly hard. So that was about all I really did as a kid, to be honest. Kirk, do you know your stone to uh, pound conversion? Oh, I think I'm roughly 10 stones. I have no idea. What am I? <laughs> Four, it's 14-ish pounds. To a... Uh, yeah. Like 12, 12 stones. So when she was three and a half stone... I was tiny. You're looking at 52 pounds. Yeah, and I still had baby teeth all the way to like 16. Wait, wait, wait what? Yeah, I didn't have my grace, but I was 21. I was well behind. You had baby teeth until high school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this like so young now, Bracken, you know? I, we're not making fun of you. You have great looking teeth. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Yeah, it's just no. such a Yeah. I all the men in my family develop late, but but not that late. So I I'm comfortable familiar with that undersized athlete role, but I was still 5 years ahead of you. It's it, yeah. that's that's like the slowest development I've ever heard of. It That's was incredible. really hard at the time. Like I used to get picked on in school. I wasn't allowed to play certain sports, but now I just think, laugh at it. They said I could have had growth hormones, but I would have ended up shorter because I'd have had my growth spurt sooner. So uh, my parents just decided not to. And uh, do you know what? The best things come in small packages. That's what my grandma used to say. So it's fine. So at 21 years old, you grew. I had my spurt, yeah. I think, yeah, I probably hit puberty at like 18. 1819 something like that is this like a um is there is it were they like going down the hormone route and checking your pituitary gland and all this or it was just like she's just a late bloomer because that's pretty late yeah i was born early like six weeks early so i was always small um they kind of monitored me i'm like i don't know too much about it because i was obviously really young but every sort of six months i'd go and get my i remember having a graph of how quickly i was growing and they kind of mapped it out but yeah no the never got hormones tested anything like that it was just kind of she it will happen it will just be a bit later but now I'm grateful for it because touch wood I do look younger than my age everyone always says so I'll take that yeah I'm sure your athlete age is is very very young combined with starting running late but just even from a social and yeah the social interaction realm Puberty at 18 had to have been very difficult for you. It was, yeah, yeah. When I think back to it, it was it was hard because, you know, I remember in, I suppose we'd call it high school, secondary school, um, one of my best friends was six foot two and I was <laughs> I was so small. We must have looked so funny. But, yeah, it was, uh, I suppose you look around at everybody and they all look different to you and you, you feel a bit left out and people would pick on you because it's, it's easy to pick on someone that's different, isn't it? But... Um, that was probably only until, you know, I was maybe 15, 16, and then I learned to stick up for myself and not care so much. But, um, yeah, I never really think about it now, to be honest. But back back then, it was probably quite tough. Well, I would have stuck you on a horse, too. Yeah. <laughs> or, or in the back of a crew boat. Yeah. <laughs> when I say a horse, like a tiny pony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I- I imagine on the social front, though, like even like I think like back to high school and everybody was so like boy and girl crazy. And you probably like had a crush on a guy in your class and you were like, well, they looks at me as like I'm a third grader. So I'm not even going to try. If I'm honest. Yeah. yeah. I always thought because I was so into my horses. I was like, I ain't got time for boys. I've got, you know, I've got to be up at six o'clock mucking out the horses. Nah, can't be bothered. 
<laughs> oh, you were real. You were real into it. Getting up before school. Yeah, very dedicated with the horses. I always loved. That was it. That was my number one thing. Did your family own horses? Did you have your own stables? No, I. My mum was devastated because she put me in ballet, and then I said, "I don't want to do ballet. I want to." muck out horses <laughs> so I used to go and um yeah I went to like a ri- local riding school for a few years and then we got a pony a really old pony called Robin on loan I still remember him um had him for a few years so I was the introduction of horses to my family yeah oh usually that's like something passed down I feel like at least in the states here it's like anybody I know that rides like has their parents were into it or they had farm access or their aunts or uncles so that's that's kind of a rarity but I'm on, I'm already getting a glimpse as to because like you're so all in on some the things you do. So even at a young age when you were riding, you were that was it, huh? That was wake up, think about horse riding or horses, go to bed, think about it, com- compete at a high level. Is that correct? Yeah, never took a sick day because otherwise that would be you're not allowed to go and do the horse if you're sick. So I was always in school because I only because not because of school. I just wanted to make sure I could see the horse. <laughs> So yeah, I was, I think that's where I maybe learned to be competitive was horses. It's a little bit different because to be really good at a high level, you need a really expensive horse, um, which obviously we, we didn't have. Um, so we used to like train horses from young. And so I still did really well when I look back. And um, at university, I rode for the university and then you actually rode other horses. So that was kind of you were to make people against each other, you got given a horse and um, that you drew out of a hat and you had five minutes to get to used to that horse and go and do a jumping round or a dressage competition so that it was fair. So that was uh, that was probably my one of my highest levels of competition. But the horses do the, you know, they do the running in that. So <laughs> you just have to, everyone says dressage is easy. Because you don't, they're like you don't you don't do anything, and I'm like, well, that's when you know a rider's good is when they don't look like they're doing anything. But you don't get a horse to dance without telling it how to and training it how to. So that is wild that you have that at uni- You call it university. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is wild that you have like you had sanctioned. Uh, what, what do you call? What do you call it? Equestrian. I don't know what you would call the. Yeah, the- equestrianism. So it was show jumping and dressage. Yeah. Dress dressage. So you have sanctioned like collegiate sport in equestrian yeah so you do like the regionals and then you have the nationals um at the end of the year do we have anything like that in the states bracken that you know of i think it's all privatized yeah and so the the schools would own the horses like the uni- yeah, those yeah. Would be university horses and somebody would be employed to take care of the horses and feed the horses and then and, and the university you like that's wild to me a little bit different. The, the universities didn't own the horses. They used to go out to, I suppose, like bespoke um, facilities that had higher level horses. And the universities, like it was run by uh, the British University Sporting Association. Um, so they would host the events for, they call it BUSA. Um, so you had different ones around the country for the different regions. And then I can't remember where the Nationals was, but... Um, yeah, that was a that was a pretty stunning facility with some stunning horses. I remember looking at them like, never ridden a horse like that. This is like the best day of my life. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm being a terrible host because I'm still I'm only half listening to your answers. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like your development as a child. <laughs> I want to hear more about losing this last baby tooth at like 16. That's the thing I'm thinking about is that. 
to imagine yourself in secondary school, which is high school for us, and other kids are like getting driver's license and you're losing teeth. You went to school with holes in your mouth in high school. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that is just such a, a stark contrast to everyone else. I, you, you, you brushed over the social part. You said, yeah, kids are mean, but was it really difficult? And is that why you immersed yourself in the stables? Potentially, yeah. Like I still, God, I don't want this to turn into like a sob story. Like I still remember, um, I think I was probably about 10 or 11, one of the bigger kids picking me up in arts class and stand, running along around the classroom with me and dropping me on the tiles. And I ended up in hospital with like, a, I've still got a scar in my forehead from it. And Because there's nothing I could have done. It was just like, you know, it was funny to be, because I was so small, I couldn't stick up for myself. But my mum's a very tough lady and she kind of, she's taught me to, I think I do care a lot about what people think of me, but she kind of taught me a little bit to toughen up. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was tough then, but I think it's probably made me a bit of a better person now, but I still am very sensitive. People think I'm really confident, but I think Kirk will know I'm quite tough on myself and quite insecure. It seems like not across the board, but to generalize a little bit, the quicker someone becomes good at something, the closer they are to their peak. And that the later you go into life, when you meet exceptional people, they were the late bloomers. And usually that's a that's a generic term, but you were a literal late bloomer. But that has to play such a huge role into late life, not late life, but in your current late life success. I kind of think with the injury thing, I'm probably quite, I, sometimes I like listen to your guests and I think, oh God, I would have loved to have seen what I could have done if I'd have started being an actual athlete. Cause yeah, I suppose you could call it someone who competes horses an athlete, but probably it's more the horse being the athlete, let's be honest. Um, and I, you're the coach. Uh, I would kind of think, oh, I'd love to have seen what I could have done if I'd have started younger. But then I also think, would I probably have got as far as I have now? I might've got injured, so anything else could have happened. Maybe I was a bit tougher starting later in life, but the main thing is it happened. So, and that was, you know, that was just pure, that was down to a specialist telling me to do it for health reasons. So everything kind of lined up and I just fell in love with it. Not straight away. The longer you have to wait for something like physical maturity or athletic prowess, the more you value it and the farther you're willing to pursue it because there's, there's nothing taken for granted in that, in that realm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But the good thing is I, I, learned to eat a lot because it just went into growing <laughs> and if anybody knows you you eat like for two in general like don't you you're like the what do the people know you as if anybody around you is hungry they know to go to you because you always have like a dozen snacks available at all times because yeah. you're just yep you're just always chowing that's awesome <laughs> you're gonna say something Craig? i was just gonna say so we to to get away from my fixation on your curl spurts <laughs> <laughs> You have university, you are show jumping and dressage, and then you have 29, you start running? Yeah, yeah. So we have this like seven-year gap in there, eight-year gap. What what was that filled with? That was just uh, work and carrying on with horses. I had my own horse, um, okay. so I got her quite young. I've had quite a few horses. Um, that's how I, you know, my parents, and then also we bought and sold a horse by breaking it in. Um, and that paved towards some university. Um, so yeah, it's always been horse focused um, up until a few years ago. 
uh, takes up a lot of time. People know if uh, there's not too much time if you take it seriously for anything else, it kind of takes over your life. But they're they're very special. When you know, I do still miss them, but if you haven't got the time to dedicate to them, so that was mostly dressage. I think as I got a bit older, sort of dressage to music and things like that. So yeah. What does that mean, dressage? Oh, I suppose it's what you if you see on the telly, people call it horse dancing. When you see them doing different movements and prancing around, that's called dressage. And you can either have like set tests you've got to do or freestyle where you make up your own and you have to get the music choreographed to the beat of their certain paces. And so it can get quite intricate. And you can teach a horse this. Yeah. Well, obviously you can, it exists, but like that just, I don't know. I guess I haven't been intimately like knowledgeable with horses so that's interesting to me so so other than what is this game this game with the hoop and you can't move with the ball what is that called again netball (laughs) Netball. so you played netball when you were like in elementary school and you didn't touch anything that moved your body in any way other than childhood play and then i I forgot i used to okay this is embarrassing (laughs) i went through a phase of doing hip-hop dancing (laughs) <laughs> well, you got to explore that. I'm listening. <laughs> it's a classic path from netball to yeah. hip hop, dressage to sub 17 5K. Listen, you're, you're talking to a guy who won a dance contest in spring break in 2003 in Mexican Tijuana, Mexico. So, so we can, you know, we can get after it sometime. I'll tell that story sometime. But we need we need to get people voting to see a video of this. It's there's no video. It was like pre-video, pre-practically oh. video, but it was very impressive. Let me tell you, from what I barely remember of it. Put your money where your mouth is. You're gonna have to just film one now, aren't you? <laughs> Give me. I'm gonna need a couple of whiskeys and it'll get back to me. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I was probably like early twenties. I just did it for a few years. I honestly can't remember for the life of me how I got into it. It just looked like fun, and I just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, in a group called Alter Ego. Um, used to travel up after work, like hours on a Friday, do four hours training, drive a couple of hours back, get ho- get in late. Loved it. <laughs> now let's brush over the rest. Of Alter Alter Ego was it? Yeah. Can you not tell how gangster I am? No, it's obvious. <laughs> I feel like I should have a follow up. <laughs> I'm drawing blank here. It's not very relevant, but I did move my body, you know? Yeah, that's what I got. You got, you got your heart rate up a little bit. Well, like one of the, we brought up Ryan Atkins earlier, and it's like, okay, he was like a unicyclist, right? That seems like a little far-fetched, but he was like using his cardio abilities to ride that bike, I suppose, or unicycle. The dancing gets your heart rate up. It did, yeah, yeah. And so did the choreographer screaming at us. That definitely got the heart rate up. Are you good on technical terrain and downhills? I wasn't when I started OCR. I was awful. I think that's because I just did road running. Um, So I still remember a hill that now I would probably think, oh, that's nothing. I'd be like, I've got to get on my bum. And (laughs) I was so scared of going over on my ankle. It took practice. I mean, I'm no Lindsay Webster or Ryan Atkins level, but I'm better. That's more of an an attitude or mindset thing than your ability, like your skill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what what has hip-hop dance training given to you today? Do you draw from any of that? Is there some carryover, or was that just a a standalone chapter? Well, I'm going to think of it now when I'm running on a trail. 
<laughs> and I'm being all nimble of a feet, I'm going to be thinking, this is probably the hip hop dancing. You know, you had to move quick. You had to move your feet quick. Yeah. All I know is I'm expecting something epic over your next fire jump. Something that really wows the crowd. <laughs> I'll get thinking now. But then when you've got race brain, I'll completely forget. So, so you... So you did the horse thing and you were working full time. I think what's appealing about like you is you've lived like, I mean, some would call like this intense horse uh, riding love, not normal, but like right now, hip hop aside and, you know, 16 year old baby teeth, you <laughs> pretty no, like I, I hear not, we all have our nuances in our life, right. That make us not normal. Right. So you have yours too, but like, I'm hearing nothing right now that would tell me that this girl, everybody should know today in OCR. And that's what the appeal is more than anything to me. I never, never would have thought I'd run ever. So why did you? Oh gosh. I, I got food poisoning. This does link in, I promise. Um, for a couple of weeks and oh, gosh, I think I lost, I went under seven stone. I was really, it was, I was really ill. Um, and then is I lost. Really, sorry to interrupt. Is that really how you guys talk about your weight? In yeah, what is that in pounds? I don't know what that is in pounds. Well, I kilograms. Do. Don't you use? I do now. Since you like, you know, since we worked together, I now have kilograms on my scale. But at the time, I don't know what it is. Seven stone is under hundred pounds. I think seven seven times fourteen. Anyone who wants to do math, ninety eight pounds. I have a side note, real quick, just a tangent. No, I'm, I'm curious for you, Bracken. So I force all of my my overseas clients to adhere to our uh, our <laughs> system of measure. So it is miles, and it is, and all of them either can adapt or get lost. I've always been miles, so that was good for me. I can't do pays. So my Canadian athletes, my European athletes, I got a couple in China. Nope. You're dealing with the U.S. system here. <laughs> I haven't changed a bit, and Natasha puts up with this. Do you do the same bracket, or what do you do? Uh, you, you are, you are like the stereotypical American, right? The world revolves around us. I only do it so I can dissect the data easy. That's why I do it. I'm comfortable in kilometers, kilograms, oh, stone. Okay, no, stone. when people go, oh, I did a three something k, I'm like, what's that in miles? I can't think. No. So wait, so you're geared, you're geared first and foremost through mileage. Not colors. How does that happen? How does that happen when you live over there? I don't know. I've just always thought miles. Maybe it's because when someone says a marathon's forty-two k, that sounds longer than twenty-six miles, doesn't it? K's just sound too much longer. <laughs> miles. Kirk, it got to the point where I switch my GPS generally to beep every k instead of every mile. Oh, no, that messed me up. How come? Uh, I started that in Colorado because it was the first time I started training overseas athletes. I wanted to just get better at speaking metric. And then I found I liked it because I got data points earlier and more often. I'm, I'm capable of it. It makes sense to me. Oh, I'm not saying you're, you're a fool. I feel like you are. Just, <laughs> why are you grinning? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure no, you no. have the <laughs> And I only learned stone because uh, of boxing and fighting. A lot of times they'll, in, when you watch overseas productions, they list their weight in stones. And I was curious. And it's not like kilograms where you have to multiply 2.2, whatever, you know, just 14. You just call it 15 pounds and multiply. Yeah. That's easier. Okay. I just wanted to see how accommodating you were to your athletes. And apparently it sounds like more accommodating. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of so strict, Bracken. Uh, how, how many spaces have you got free? <laughs> hey. I charge one quid less than Kirk. <laughs> you know I'm loyal, Kirk. 
I know. I'm not worried about it. You were. I interrupted something that you guys were going on. Oh right? yeah, it's just how I got into running. It's like randomly. Uh, you got food poisoning. You got under 100 pounds. And then I lost the peristalsis of my digestive system, so the muscle contractions. So it took about two years to to find that out. Um, so a specialist told me I should start exercising. Um, wait, wait. What, what what does that look like then? How does that manifest? You don't want to know. Yeah, we do. We get into that stuff. We had Nick Riker talking about carrying a plastic bag around. Okay, I'm gonna. Like, I'm really sorry, anyone that knows me talking about this. I couldn't poop. Yeah, yeah. If you can't contract, it was not good. I ended up in hospital quite a few times. It was terrible for about two years. I tried everything, diet, um, drugs, which just made it worse. And then I just thought one day, stuff this. I'm coming off all the drugs, and my body will figure it out. Um, and a specialist uh, basically gave me some, I, they, were, they were in pills, but little shapes, and then x-rayed me every 24 hours, and they didn't move. And that's how they figured out my brain signals to those muscles had switched off when I was ill to protect me and never come back on. Uh, so he said, well, you can either go for hypnosis and try hypnosis therapy or try exercising um, and then see if your muscle that moves your muscles and gets them contracting, get a stronger core. And um, so I thought, I said to my friend, ah, oh, let's we try and go for a run. Like, you know, I see people running. Let's see if we can go. And yeah, I got 100 meters down the road and I had to walk and she quit. And I went, no, I'm too stubborn for that. I'm, this is bad. I'm going to start running. Um, did the typical, any trainer is a running trainer, right? So I just kept running in my really old, normal Adidas fashion shoes. Uh, realized quite quickly that hurts your shins. Um, and then I joined a running club probably about three, four months in. Uh, and I was, oh God, I, I remember going on a Monday night and they did six miles, uh, probably about 10, 11 minute mile in. And I was dying. It, and somebody saying to me, oh, I'm doing a half marathon scene. I was like, oh my God, I'd never be able to do a half marathon. There's just no way. Like that was just like incredible to me that someone was going to run a half marathon. But that's how I got into it. And then it was horrible. I hated running to start with, but I think it was my stubbornness that kept me going. Um, and then you, when I joined the running club, it became a social thing and I started to really enjoy it. So that's how I got into it. For people that don't know, like peristalsis is like the things you'd never think about that forces your GI system to move like the food through your body for you. So it ends up coming out. And so yeah. you're basically your nervous system, your, your, your sympathetic nervous system stopped telling your GI system to function. And yeah. so you got, you got completely backed up. And for anybody who knows, and I've been there a few times in my life when I dealt with my health issues back in the day, but people think like, let's just say it, diarrhea is bad and you're in the bathroom all the time. There's only one thing worse and that's not being able to over time. No, it's true. It it's so true. painful. It, and you end up like, you want to call about feeling sick all the time, feeling toxic which is like kind of a frou-frou-y term, but like, you'd be like, I feel toxic. I feel ill. Nothing is working. My thinking is cloudy. I have no energy. I can't really eat. So I'm losing weight yet. I'm full of shit, as we say. Like, it's a tough deal. And to lose peristalsis of your gut for two years is like, from time you wake up to the time you go to bed, it's all you think about. It's all yeah. you do. Your whole day revolves around somehow making yourself going to the bathroom. Oh, the concoctions I was putting in a blender were not nice. <laughs> and nothing worked. 
Yeah. Well, people, people laugh it off. Oh, I'm a little backed up. Ha ha ha. Oh. You're like, oh, you don't even understand. I went two weeks once and ended up in the A&E. Two weeks. It was not not good. I was so ill. Um, so There's a reason we get rid of all that stuff, and that's because it's not useful. It's toxic, and it's not what we need in our bodies. And when that stuff sits in there, you feel like death warmed over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> At least my experience. So, so then you... You got into running solely because you did not want to be on meds any longer. You thought, this is, I can't live my life this way. And you were told the more you moved your body, maybe this would fix your problem. It's yeah. that simple. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I want to lose weight or, oh, I saw it on TV and it looks cool. It was like, I want to fix my gut. I want to, yeah, I want to be healthier and not rely on drugs and yeah, I wanted just to fix it myself. And it was just, it could have been anything. It could have been any kind of movement. It's just, I thought, you know, running's free. I don't have to join a gym. I'll just try that. I'll give that a go. Uh, it could have been a sport, but it just happened to be running. Okay. And what was uh, what was the result of you beginning running on that front? It worked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, touch wood. How long? How long did it take? Um. Quite a few months to really get into, you know, a regular rhythm, should we call it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it took a little while, I think, because I probably wasn't able to do a lot. Obviously, when you first start running, it's not like I could just go out and run for half an hour, an hour straight away. But I think it, it even because I know being outside doing the horses, you're you're moving around. But I would, I didn't have a dog. I didn't go for a walk. So everything else was just sedentary. I was either, you know sat on my desk at work or I did have a waitressing job as well and um, so that was kind of moving around a little bit but other than that I didn't really I didn't think about being active in any kind of um with purpose at all so it took a little while but probably a few months mm. and what about um as far as riding horses and such uh did you guys have a strength routine or anything to ensure that you were ready or did you just get on the horse got on the horse <laughs> it was more about it was more about a training plan for the horse not for you um I think I've always had a uh, strong core purely because you have to hold you know, the whole point is you're meant to have really light hands um so you have to really hold your core and and the horse moves depending on how you move your body so you know and also when a horse tries to buck you off or things like that you've got to have quite strong inside thighs so they've always quite strong i've had a few fair horses trying to throw me off <laughs> wow okay so so there was no real like when you think of like sport today there was no real specific training even in even non-specific training really like not much that would that would really translate until the running started then yeah for sure and and is this something before we move on from your beginning of running is this something that you still deal with today the peristalsis issue or is it something that you've been slowly been able to move on from um, I don't think about it as much anymore. It's not like I, you know, day to day, um, it affects me. A very, very occasionally I have a flare up, but touch wood, not, not really a big issue anymore. I think it's something I'll maybe always have. Um, but so maybe when I have to stop running one day, I might get a bit of an issue. But yeah, touch wood. This may be a too a personal or embarrassing question to ask, but. When I prescribe you true no recovery, well, when I, no one's listening. <laughs> what do you think of our podcast? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> what are you saying? But like when I prescribe, when we've had a couple of conversations, I said, Natasha, like, let's take this week off. 
right? Yeah. Like it's time for an off week. And I think you get a little skittish, but you've trusted the process now. Is that where your mind goes? Like in it, for example, like that, or it does, you're that far removed now. You're like, I'm yeah. not running for a week. I'm going to, so you're good. I'm good. Yeah. And uh, I always try and go for a, a walk instead of a run. So like on my off days, I'll make sure I get out for a walk and stuff. I think if I was to sit down all day and do nothing, I'd get tummy ache. I do notice that. Like sometimes I get tired. Um, certain things like I can't eat really processed sugar before bed. And I can't drink fizzy drinks. But I think now that's kind of habit for me to not have those things at certain times or I can't drink fizzy drinks. I have to let, if I want a can of Coke, I have to plan 24 hours in advance and let it go flat, that kind of thing. What's wrong with fizzy drinks? Uh, the gas. I just get really bloated and painful. More than a normal person. Mm. I can't even have a sip. Yeah, it would just uh, be awful. Um, yeah. Everyone at some point in their life has dealt with it. After a surgery due to either the narcotics or from the um, anesthesia or a sickness or anything. And while you're waiting for things to move, it's miserable. You know, we just dealt with it with Lisa. She had surgery and the painkillers afterwards, and she only took it for one day and it affected her for five or six. And those five or six days are so long. I can't imagine two, two and a half years, the constant dread and pain in your life that lasted that long. Yeah. That's a long time to go through pain, discomfort, and frustration. I feel like I'm broken now, <laughs> particularly with the recent stuff, Kurt. Now you think about it, I'm like, oh dear, I just sound a bit broken. Well, you've had you've had non-structural issues in your life, and that's why I think it's important, yeah. especially the one we haven't gotten to yet, but um, which I think is a big message that women in particular need to hear. But mm -hmm. Yeah, but no, I, it's just certain things that... um. You know, if I want a piece of cake, I just have it earlier in the day now and I'll have a protein bar or protein oats with peanut butter and stuff like that sort of sugar is fine. But if I was to have a processed piece of cake for some reason before I go to bed, uh, I'd be up for a few hours with pain in my tummy. So I just have to think about those sorts of things. But that's about it, really. If you if you follow Natasha's Instagram once in a while, she comes up with like these cheater like recipe like she's it's like dessert but it's like just skirting the edges so she can get away with it and all these delicious concoctions that are like i can eat this and not feel like crap but it's like as close to the real thing as you can get you're really yeah. good for that i know jess has uh screenshot and stolen a number of things my girlfriend that you posted <laughs> the entire industry of fueling for for endurance is centered around fast digesting processed sugars so as a distance runner, yeah, what do you have to do? That's fine. Weirdly, I can have gels on a run. Um, I've got a stomach of steel, Kirk will tell you. I still remember telling you what I ate on a long run once and you were like, did you have a kitchen in your... <laughs> it was, I mean, I don't remember what it was, but it was like a buffet was brought. I think you. I had like maple pancakes and bacon and potato falls on a trail long run. And you were like... And you could eat that whilst running. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Pancakes and bacon. Okay. Store it. Well, maybe there's a silver lining to all this. You were made for ultras. I get hungry. Uh, so, like, I, I have to have bacon and eggs and avocado and toast for breakfast where I couldn't just eat porridge. Or the minute I start running, for some reason, I just get hungry. I have to have... You have to have some fat in you and... And protein to slow it down. But when I'm in the run, like, even if I, if I just had gels... I don't feel like that really gives me a pep in my step. Um, I still take them, but I'll have something solid along with it, which is harder when you're going quick. Like in the marathon, 
I think the best marathon I had was I only had like jelly beans cut up little cut up bits of bars and I would have something every quarter mile like a little tiny thing (laughs) (laughs) is that not normal it's, it's, I just can't. I'm the opposite. My stomach is so touchy while I'm running. Like oh. if I were to lift or play basketball, I could eat pizza or chicken in between timeouts. But if I'm running, yeah, it's not an option. So to think about running at marathon pace, chewing every quarter mile, that's 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 really a stomach of stone there. Yeah. And what you said, I think it was you, Bracken, said that um, an ultra runner told you to have a gel not in one go. But make it last over that. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Have a little bit, run a bit, little bit, run a bit. Interesting. So you would you would chew during a marathon? Yes, I get. I think I got through an SIS bar, a whole thing of shot blocks, some jelly beans, and half another bar in my marathon. Yeah. What is the what is like the weirdest thing by common standards that you've eaten while running in a long run or a race? Can you think of anything? I mean, bacon is up there. Um. I've had a half-a-cheese sandwich on a seven-mile run in the rain once because I was hungry. It was after work, and I knew I'd be hungry. Nothing better than a soggy ham and cheese sandwich. Ham and cheese sandwich <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> uh, I did. Well, I've done one ultra so far. The ultra didn't count. But I was having like marmite and cheese. Oh, cheese is really good on a long run. I think getting that cheese. Bill Box. Do you have Lunchables in the UK? Do you know yeah. what that is? Yes. So we bought, to drive up to meet Kirk last week, and we bought Lunchables. The kids have never seen a Lunchable before, but they had them at Aldi, so we picked them up. And it's really saturated with water in those packets. And all we could hear is wet cheese and wet meat just chewing in the back seat. All the kids were just sucking on wet meat. (laughs) It was gross. But that's what comes to mind when I think of you running in the rain with a ham and cheese sandwich. <laughs> it's just... yeah, this Saturday's long run was in pouring down rain and I was there running up a hill with my potato fall. <laughs> couldn't you couldn't you have just eaten the ham and cheese sandwich after work, Natasha, and then went for your seven mile run? You just had to bring it with you? Well, yeah, I just in case you get hungry in the middle. I was all right when I started. Where do you put it? I always run with um, an ultimate direction bag every run. Because of food. Just in case, because sometimes I've had so many times where I've been in the middle of a run and I, you know, you get lightheaded. And even if I, yeah, I have to, like, I'm terrible. If I get up, I have to eat and then run. If I leave it an hour, I'll be hungry in the run. Now, I have heard these things before, but they're always from people who are running 10, 13 minute miles. Like they're moving very slowly. I've never heard this from someone who's genuinely fast. And Kirk's talking about you're doing six by a mile at 540 pace on what? 90 seconds rest, was it, Kirk? Three minutes. Oh, Oh, yeah, quarter mile jog recovery. Yeah, quarter mile jog recoveries. You have wheels. You're trying to break 17 in a 5K. That's that's fast running. You're the only fast runner I've heard of who just gets hungry all the time during runs. (laughs) It's all right if I eat the right thing just before. And I have to change it up all the time. Like I found recently that the breakfast I've had for the past few months – I started to feel a bit when I was running on it. It just wasn't sitting in my stomach well. So now I'm trying some different stuff this week. But yeah, I went out on Tuesday and I was all right in the run, but I hadn't had protein with breakfast and I was starving afterwards. So I was like, if I, and it was a shorter run because I've got a race Saturday and I was like, mm, that won't do me in a, for a normal session. Back to the drawing board. So I did a six hour race in December and I drank Tailwind the whole time. Uh, yeah, how you don't eat. What would you have done for six hours? I'm curious to to hear what you would have fueled with. 
I think I just brought too much and a lot of different things. I just because you never know what you're going to fancy. I really want to get into ultras, as Kirk knows, but he's like, let's get the speed out first and then move into it. But I think mm-hmm. half of that is being able to eat, and I think I'm quite good at that. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I've got that side down. Uh, it's just the running for a bit longer. I'd have eaten anything and everything, I think. On my ultra, I was eating, like, scotch eggs, Marmite and cheese sandwiches, crisps. Well, I don't know what Mama and cheese sandwiches or crisps are. Crisps are, like, potato chips. Okay, that's normal, I think. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. I don't, mama, mama sandwiches. I don't know what a Mama sandwich is. Marmite. Ma- Marmite? Marmite. Do you have Marmite? Like, Vegemite type. Oh, <laughs> okay. Salty. Yeah. Kind of with you here. You people, you people over there. Chris Chris Shipley yeah. taught me what pasties are in the UK yesterday. Pasties. Past, past, pasties. Pasties. <laughs> Kirk, they're, they're the British version of empanadas. Oh, yes. really? Yeah, or Hot Pockets. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. He said that, that's, that's one of his fueling. He's also an iron stomach kind of guy, I think. Yeah. Mm. hot pockets for fuel during an ultra <laughs> i don't know how you guys do it just like people say oh, i just have liquid calories i just couldn't and that's just shows everyone's so different yeah I, I eat these uh these pro bar like blocks and they've got this consistency where when bracken said that too that actually stuck with me where uh tyler siegel told you make a make a gel last an hour well these shot blocks are big enough and chewy enough that by the time i chew them and get them down i have my calories about over a three to five minute period and it kind of works out nicely. So yeah. yeah, and you're chewing food at the same time. So it's, it's enough. And just in case Tyler's listening, he said, make it last a half mile to a mile, not an hour. I just want to make sure he gets yeah, his yeah. due credit. What did I say an hour? I meant to. Yeah, I don't want to piss Tyler off. He'll put me into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So this came, this, this started, that's a good little side note. I understand your garbage disposal out there when you run. Yeah. Um, you're backing up the claims that I've heard about you being the snack lady. That all makes sense now. So you start your running, you fix your your issues, we'll call it, which is fantastic. And then when does this turn? Like, when do you have your first moment, like your aha moment? Like, oh, I'm, uh, I, might be, I might be okay. I didn't, I didn't buy a watch for at least a year, I want to say, from starting running because I was, I, I didn't. I didn't want to, I didn't care about pace. I didn't care about, I was literally running with my friends to go and talk to them. That's the only thing that really kept me going back to running club. And I did do a half marathon without a watch. Didn't know what I was running. And that was probably, that was the September. And I started the running club in the June after saying, I'll never run a half marathon. September, they got me doing one. Um, And I did a 142 for my first half. And everyone was like, that's really good. I was like, oh, cool. And then I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do another one next year. And I did another one and I got 135. And then I was like, maybe I should get a watch so I can actually pace. Um, but it was only really for races. I, I mean, I never did speed work. Probably for about three and a half, four years, all I ever did was 8.30 to 9.30 minute miling chatting with my friends. I And it was just every race, I got quicker and quicker and quicker. Um, but I never changed my training to... And everyone used to get frustrated at me. Come to track, like come to the track session. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not interested in running quick. That's too painful. I'll just do it in a race. And I, my theory was I'm not talking in a race, but when I'm talking running with my friends, I'm training my lungs. And then when I race and I don't, I can breathe more because I've got asthma. So I'm just training my lungs and then I can run harder in a race. Um, 
And then I think I, I wanted to get into London Marathon and I did a one thirty half marathon and someone said, oh, if you get under one thirty, you get into London with the championship start. So I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do that. And uh, so I did a half in 128. And with no training, I was just like, I'll just run a bit harder. And then I started to think, oh, I'm in the championship start of London. Like, I must be okay. Um, and I did my, I think I knocked 25 minutes from one marathon to the next one. And then I, I wanted a three, I think I wanted a 330 and I got a 316. And then I was like, oh, now I want a sub 315 and I got a 306. And then I was like, oh, now I want sub three. <laughs> and then I got sub three and then I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Was that all still on like what I would consider like base phase training? You ran you ran sub three in the marathon by just going out and running every day. Yeah, I did. Come one, on. I did Come on. one session, one session with um, a guy from the club. Adam said, "Right, I'm taking you to a track, and I'm going to stand at the side, and we're going to do a mile, and I'm going to make you do six thirty every mile for ten miles. You're not allowed to go quicker. You're not allowed to go slower because if you want sub three, you've got to be able to hold." that pace like around a six I think it was 652 but we knew London would be long so we we're aiming for sort of 640 the whole way that was the only session I did and other than that I just ran easy and yeah and after doing a sub three was the first time I joined a, a, a running club that was more speed focused it was like a proper they had some they had a couple of Olympians that not in my group um but then I got chucked in with the golden oldie group, but really quick men. I was me and one other young girl in her 20s who was a 34-minute 10K, and then there was me. I'd never done a proper track session in my life, and I just went and joined them for a few months. Um, and that's when I got my quickest 10K, apart from with you, Kirk. Um, and I think that I did, it was just slow increments, and I then sort of started to get a bit quicker and then that was the only time I really did speed work because so it was like four years of nothing just easy running I don't know a single person that has run sub three in a marathon men included that I don't believe has done any done any speed work I can't think of yeah. any off the top of my I, no I believe you. you I don't take you for a fibber but Bracken can you, can you think of anybody no just because I don't know anyone that could not cave in to everyone around them telling them to co come join the track sessions Everyone say, all right, I'll come do it. If you say I'm fast, I'll come do it. But you just stuck to it. Nope, I'm going to run because I enjoy chatting with my friends and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I know. Weird thing was I was competitive because when I used to do, I, I started to get a bit better in position. And I, like if you had like a club, I, I hated cross country, but if we had a club race, I would I'd do it for them. And I started to get like second all the time. And that's when my competitiveness kicked in. I was like, I'm fed up of being second. And that's when I started to, like, I entered a 10-mile race and I sat on the lead woman until the last half mile. And then I kicked. And I did the same in a cross-country race because I wanted to win, not. And that was the first time I was like, I want to win. But I still never correlated. I need to actually train some speed work to race better. I just, it was never about that for me. I just enjoyed it. This is the perfect case study of what different types of training do. So mm -hmm. off purely aerobic, you ran, what were your best times? Sub three marathon. What was, your exact, what was your exact time in the marathon? Two hours, 59. But it was 2.67 miles and I did sprain my calf at mile 20. So I do think I could have gone quicker. 
And that's why I kind of want to do a marathon with you, Kurt, because I'd like to know what I can do. You're on 259. What was your half marathon? A half I never trained for. I got one up until that point. I think I was 126 was my best at that. 30, 38 or 37 in the 10. I've ne- I'd never done a 5K at that point. Okay. And then you added speed work in. And what did you run in the 10K? So I did the 10K a month and a half after the marathon. And I'd only been with the track club a few sessions. And I did, that was when I hit my 37. So I, I had done maybe three or four proper speed sessions um, in the 10K. And then before I met Kirk, I think I'd just done a race, a 10K race and did 36 something, 36, late 36s. So you cut a full minute off by adding speed work in to your 10K. Yeah, I added a little bit of speed work in a couple of years before I met Kirk. Um, I'd been with a, I joined a couple of coaches because I, I, when I did OCR, that's when I quit. I was only with that track club probably from the May until the October. And the coach was very old school. And when I did my first Spartan race, he put me in his car and gave me a talking to about how it was going to get me injured and I shouldn't do this. It wasn't competitive. And then I left the, for some reason, I was like, stuff that, I'll leave the track club then. And then I was just doing my own thing again and got a bit lost. And then I found a coach through OCR and then another coach. And now I've realized what a decent coach is by joining them. <laughs> so speed work alone is taking over a minute off your 10K. Yeah, because I was doing some structured sessions with the last coach. It it, it wasn't as progressive as mm-hmm. um, the past year, but it definitely did improve me a little bit from where I'd got to. Well, it goes, it kind of proves what, what the science would say, which is that you can get 85 or 90% of the way to your ceiling off just maxing out your aerobic capacity. Yeah. And 10K, I've always said I hate 10K. I hate it. I definitely prefer longer stuff. So I've always, avoided, I've always avoided the short spice stuff. Apart from I've started to quite enjoy some of the speed work now. Um, it's just a very different type of pain, isn't it? Mm-hmm. stuff like that burning of your lungs and I think because I always I always limited myself before because I said well I've got asthma so short stuff I have to run quick and it it's hard on my breathing so I won't do that I'll do longer stuff because I can go in what and to be honest my 10k pace was like just under six minutes and my marathon was 642 so to me I'm like well that's a lot better in the longer distance than it is the short so I'll just stick to long <clears throat> Before we get into your, just because Bracken kind of went down that road and it was a way I wanted to go later, but I'm just going to go there now. Uh, I, I'm not looking for a pat on the back by any means with with what I do compared to what your previous coaches had done. But what I do want to dive into is I believe you had a, a good coach that cared and and guided you well, and you were doing very traditional run work and very traditional flat run work specifically. Um, and you had progressed and then you kind of had plateaued. You felt like there wasn't a bunch of progression. And then we started to work together and I kind of turned your training world upside down. It's the same philosophy that Bracken has. I mean, we are, we are peas in a pod Bracken. So it, it speaks to both of our styles here, but you were breaking through plateaus like instantly. Yeah. With the yeah. Style of training. Like what would be the, the big difference would you say between like your old style of training and this style of training? And how do you feel that difference? And what I'm getting at is like, actually catering to the OCR work, not just being a true runner yeah. who does OCR, but actually preparing for the test, so to speak. Like what has been the big differences you noticed between that transition and then your fitness correlation? Well, before I go into the physical, I actually think, to be honest, the one of the biggest difference moving to you is May, and I am going to give you a pat on the back here, is actually 
what you've done for my mental and my confidence. Um, I didn't have a real relationship with the last coach at all. Like, it, it, I wasn't getting any feedback. I was constantly like, trying to give feedback and it wasn't getting listened to. All the stuff you kind of spoke about. And I, I've always been low on confidence. And I think having someone constantly going, you're a damn stud. <laughs> Just makes you go, yeah, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. And um, I think in, in workouts, I've started pushing myself a little bit more and not limiting myself to a pace. I was very much right. My 10K pace is this. My 5K pace is this. I'll stick to that in my workout. So it was always just on the road. Now, I think a lot more um, elevation in my legs and a lot more running on trails, um, which has definitely translated without even realizing it to pace when I do hit the roads. Um, I, I never felt that. I want to interrupt you right away because... I made that same transition going from OCR. I suddenly had to do hill work and my fitness has been popping. How would you feel the difference? Because we shove that down people's throat, Bracken and I. Like, hill work is speed work in disguise and hill work is strength work when you don't know it. Hill work translates to the flats and everybody's heard this now, but like, how would you describe that difference in how you felt? Put it this way. My strength work in the gym, particularly on my legs, has gone way down, but my legs are stronger now. And I, so I feel like when I then do try and run fast, they're not turning to jelly. And when I run up a hill, I'm actually able to run up the hill and my legs are not just like weak little giraffe legs. So I think it's the, it's a strength that you cannot emulate just by doing deadlifts and squats. Um, and I, and I also the learning to control my effort up a hill and knowing what I can do without, I'm not going to blow by pushing a little bit harder on the hill or holding back a little bit like I know my strength is I can hit the top of the hill and run quick now um rather than have to feel like I get to the top of the hill and I want to stop um but yeah that's just it's taught me more my to listen to my body a bit more and like I I can probably tell you what effort I'm in without even having a heart rate monitor now um because of all the different stimulus I've put it through um and thinking it's going to react a certain way and then doing different things and thinking oh okay no that's fine a bit like pushing the limits a little bit more. Um, I never did carry work. I never did anything like that before. Compromise running, chucked that one at me very quickly, didn't you? <laughs> that slapped me in the face and still does. <laughs> um, but then I remember doing that burpee 10K and I had a whale of a time. And I, on paper, that sounded like hell. I was like, oh God, this is going to be horrendous. But I loved it every single minute. And you said you're going to have a coming to Jesus moment and it never happened. Now that wouldn't have happened. I did it on my own this winter and I had a coming to Jesus moment. <laughs> uh, that was still terrible. So I don't know how anybody does that. I feel terrible, but. Yeah, but that would never have happened just by going out and doing a run. Because if you chuck OCR work or compromise work in and then you just, just run, it's that you can just stay in a rhythm where you're comfortable and you, you're not going to have that. Oh God, I've got to drop down and do a load of push-ups in a minute. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit, it's very different. Because I think that was my biggest thing in the race. And I think you've spoken about this, Kurt, yourself, is that was the biggest difference in an OCR race compared to a running race that hit me was I felt like I was gonna have an asthma attack all the time because you're going, your heart is going up, down, up, down, up, down. But my training was never doing that. It was always just even if it was at a high level, it was a consistent high level. Um, so I wasn't used to dealing with that spiking and lowering of my heart and what that was doing to my body. Well, I think you're just a good case study of 
we, Bracken and I have this conversation and he's going through this experiment right now. Bracken has decided to only do quality compromise run work, right? Which is crazy Bracken. <laughs> That's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And it's going to be super interesting to see. And Bracken just texted me yesterday and said, I'm going sub 430 and sub 16 in the 5k by X date, all off of compromise running. But but what I'm just trying to get at for we can keep we we're going to pound this in the listener's head until we don't have a podcast anymore. And that is that you objectively got faster, maybe with some nuances of the coaching and, and other things aside from the compromise work and hill work and carry work. But it made you a better pure runner. Yeah, it made you more durable. And who knows what the science is behind it? And Bracken will probably be the next study of one. Right. But there's something to it, is there not? Yeah. And interestingly, I think I know you just spoke about pace with Hunter. And I think, yes, for if you're going for a certain time in pure running, the pace is important. But you've taught me to run off effort. And I actually think that's also helped me break through because now I'm not just thinking about my pace. So if I do do a time trial or something, I'm going on effort. And you sometimes just put go hard on my plan. And you're like, what's hard? Like what hard for that hard for that? So I just go hard <laughs> and I think, right, what can I sustain for this workout and what feels hard? Um, and I think that's probably helped me hit paces that I didn't ever think I could hit. Like those 400s. I've never seen a four on my watch in my life. And then those 400s, the first one was like 445 pace. And I was like, I now don't want to get over five. So I'm just going to have to run really, really hard the rest of these repeats. Uh, and I did. So, you know, but that was just because the first one, I went on effort, not on pace. You had two great takeaways there. The first is you probably explain why compromise running is important better than I ever have. You talked about in a race, you're always gasping because your heart rate goes up, down, up, down, and it's more damaging than even staying high, but holding it. Like there's the rhythm is calming to your body. Your body can get into a rhythm at any, like with any amount of pain, if it's constant, you can absorb it. But it's that up down that you talked about. And you said, I wasn't going up down in training. And so it killed me in a race. So I love that. That that was simpler than anything I've ever said. So thank you. But that second that you just talked about is you represent the vast majority of runners. Now you're faster than most of them, but your experience coming to running late in life with no running background whatsoever, pace meant very little to you. Time meant very little. And even when you knew a time, it's just like what we talked about in that last episode. It might be a self-imposed time that's not totally accurate. And as soon as you said, I'm going to run one hard and whatever that hard is, that's my new hard. And you saw a time that you wouldn't have done, you wouldn't have been able to do a workout at 450 pace if that was your goal. But after you've done it, now you can do that pace. And that's just a great reminder to people that unless you are a 20-year veteran of running, you probably are wrong about your paces. And it may only be a little bit wrong, but we're wrong about our paces because we will probably undersell what we're capable of. If you'd have asked me a few years ago, like, will you ever run a sub six minute in anything? I'd have gone, hell no, even for a 400 meter repeat. And now I'm doing mile repeats between 535 and 540. You know, it's, and that's still, when I actually think about it and you, you that makes me go, blimey. Because I never thought I could hit a five, let alone a four on my watch. But it's all because I was putting limits on myself. I was like, I will never get under 38 in a 10K. That's my ceiling. And now I'm 36. So don't, 
I've learned now, don't put limits on yourself. And that's why I've gone to Kirk. Maybe I could do sub 17 in the 5K from someone who would never run a 5K. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I could. Well, you time trialed it. What was your last 5K time trial? 17? 13. 13? 13 seconds <laughs> away. I think it's a pretty Because Kirk said to me, go out on the first mile and don't be silly. Like, feel comfortable about halfway through because it's going to hurt anyway. So I thought, I'm not going to look at my watch. I'm just going to run. And I did have um, my other half next to me. He was going to drop out after the first mile, but he decided to carry on. And then he started to speed up because he's very fast. And he was going, come on, come on, come on. And I went, no, I'm staying within myself. Um, and I just ran the rest by myself thinking, right, that's fine. I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. And then, yeah, that happened. And I negative split every mile. And I, But I didn't even look. I didn't want to know. What does it mean when? What does it mean when somebody negative splits a 5K bracken? It means they can run a whole lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> Piggybacking our episode on Tuesday about pace versus effort and, and you know, swinging for the fences. Now I have a personal curiosity. I don't even know this as your coach. Do you, um, do you look at your pacing mid reps to check in or do you go hard is hard and I'll see when I hit my marker? You don't, you don't hold yourself back with barriers and reps and keep checking. You're in it and then you just see what the result is when you're done. Yeah, mostly not any, not anymore. Because I, I think for me, I think it would probably make me worse. I think if I, I always think, oh god, if I look and I don't like what I see, I'll back off. I'll think I'm dying. I'll back off. So I'd rather not know. Um, and just yeah, I just kind of go on what you guys say. It's going to suck about you know a third to half through, and then you just hang on. And I try and I know what you say. I always try and leave something so the last one. I'm not just dying. I can try and either keep it consistent or negative it. Um, but it doesn't mean I hold back on the first one. I still go hard. It just it just hurts more <laughs> every single rep. Isn't there something like to say about that, like Bracken? Just hearing that, like not not looking, just going, just going, not getting caught up in our own pre-decided upon pacing or limiters or ceilings, and just running hard. Yeah. That's okay. Go run hard. What does hard mean? What does hard mean to you? Do that, okay? Yeah. That's a question I get a lot. You wrote hard and easy on this workout. I just really would like more direction than that. And I get that. And oftentimes I'll acquiesce and say, all right, here's what you're shooting for. But there are some workouts where I just say, no, no. On race day, when you're running in a pack of people and your watch is lying to you or you're running off road or you're running switchbacks or up or downhill, your heart rate monitor will not be able to tell you what you're doing. You have to know what hard feels like. And some days you have to just trust that I'm going to run hard and I might blow up today. And I'm <laughs> going to at least learn, okay, that's my upper limit of what hard is sustainable for 40 minutes. But now tomorrow's workout 70 minutes and it says hard. Now I get to learn what hard for 70 minutes feels like. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm not aiming to go, like if it was 70 minutes, I'm framing in my mind. I don't want to go hard for 10 and then die for 60. Hard for 70 is a different hard to what hard for a quarter mile repeat or a mile repeat is. It's all different and I'm framing it for the whole workout. But it, yeah, you certainly don't. But mine probably got born more out of if I'm having a bad day, I'm still putting in that effort and my body doesn't know the pace I'm running. So stop looking, basically. Yeah. You said it perfectly that... I don't want to look down, see something that changes my perception of what I can or can't do. I don't want to look down, see a number that's a little worse 
than I thought it was and it depresses me or it's faster than what I thought and it scares me. Yeah. If you're in attack mode, you're in attack mode and, yeah. and not letting something in through that, there's some power to that. It's that little chimp in your brain. Keep it in its box. Don't don't tell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. I like that. I got a couple people that need to hear that. Yeah. Chimp Paradox. I didn't read it. I listened to it, but it was a really good book. Told what's the premise? Hold on. What's, what's the premise of the Chimp Paradox? It's that, well, in a real basics, you've got like your human logic brain and then you've got the chimp and your chimp's your immediate emotional brain. Um, and it will tell you, it'll put you, like, be like the governor theory, but it's a chimp in your brain. And uh, mine tells me, you can't do it. <laughs> so I just uh, don't give it any information in the time and it can't tell me I can't do it. <laughs> this isn't where I saw this going or talking about books, but I love it because I, I listened to um, David Goggins' book, a while back, a couple summers ago. And it really struck me, whatever you think about him as a person or his personality, he's onto some things in terms of mental toughness. I don't know if either of you have ever listened or read anything that he has. Listen to a podcast with him. Okay. But he had this one thing that is this mantra he kept repeating, which is you can't hurt me. Yes. And he's very defiant in everything he does, which puts some people off to him. But I found that his defiance of pain was very helpful. I was training for an ultra at that time. And Kirk knows one of my standard time trials is running around Lake Geneva. It's 21 and a quarter miles. And it always gets bad because it's 21 and a quarter miles. And the next time I did it, I decided that I was going to smile into the bad points and just repeat out loud, you can't hurt me. Every time it hurt, I was just going to laugh into that. And as ridiculous as it seemed beforehand, it worked. Yeah. I'd, because normally I would get to the bad point, it'd start to hurt, and then I would look down. And I knew what my goal pace was to break through. And if I would have seen 6.05, I would have been like, all right, I'm doing great. I can attack this. And if I would have seen 6.25, I would have thought, see, this is what happens when I start to hurt. Yeah. I'm and instead, it. I turned my watch face that day to only show elapsed time and distance. And I was just like, no, I won't look down and check pace. Every time it hurts, I'm just going to laugh at it and say, you can't hurt me. That doesn't hurt. And it worked. And yeah. I was able to attack the rest of the run because I didn't know better. And there were times if I looked at my speed chart where I went through a section slower than I normally would, but it was always followed by another attack after that as I decided, no, I can still attack. And I wouldn't have attacked once I saw a slow pace normally because it would have confirmed, yep, you're dying. Yeah. And your brain's going to tell you like exactly what you said. Either way, it's going to give you a negative. If you're going slower, you're going to go, it's not my day. I'm having a bad day. May as well just give in and slow down. If it's quick, you're going to go, oh, I'm going to blow up. I maybe should slow down. <laughs> you're never going to, in that moment, give yourself a positive thought. So if you don't give yourself those facts to twist on yourself, then it works for me. It might not work for everybody else. Other people may see a quick pace and be like, hell yeah, I'm killing it today. Let's push on harder. But for me that I found that, you know, if I was to see a pace that I'd never hit before, I'd panic. Or if it was slow, I'd be, you're useless. This is, you should be running quicker than this. So it just works for me to not even think about it. Kirk, she is the perfect reminder to keep it simple. That we get caught up in our Garmin Fenix or our 
uh, our Phoenix or whatever, or our Sunto Ambit, and we get caught up in these $1,000 watches and all the metrics and what is my vertical oscillation. But at the end of the day, if you spend four years building an aerobic base, and then you sprinkle in some workouts, and then you start fine tuning with high level training, you improve. And if you run without a GPS and you run hard days hard and easy, easy, you improve. And if you keep the bad thoughts out of your head, you run fast. Yeah. Natasha, you seem to have boiled it down to what do I need to do to stay out of my own way? Yeah. And a lot of it is in your brain. A lot of it. Um, I don't think people put enough credence on that. And uh, now when I go into a race, I know it sounds really corny, but I do think I'm going to make Kirk proud today. He tells me I'm a stud. I'm going to be a stud. I'm not going to give up. Like that race last week, I was like, I did see the pace of my watch at one point because it was off-road. It's slower than my road 10K. Of course it's going to be. And for a split second, I thought, um, 5K in, this is not going to be a PB. Oh, duh. I knew that at the start. And I wanted to back off. And then I was like, no, no, it's still a 10K effort. It's still just... And I was also wanting to prove the guys around me wrong who were thinking I shouldn't be in the first wave with them. That did help. But you just get it was I didn't it was probably something that I probably would have backed right off and jogged it in before, but then you've just got to stop it. Um but yeah, don't underestimate it. And do go easy on easy days. I, I I'm sorry, I've not got the capability some days after a hard workout to run out of zone one. My legs are just trashed or I just I might feel good, but I'm like, I'll just stick in zone one. I don't care. You are the you are the poster child. You do it better than anybody I I know, including myself for sure. And it's you you do the simplest style of training. Hard means hard and easy means easy. And if easy means 119 heart rate average and 940 pace for a recovery run for somebody that has your speed, I see that every week in your training log. You go out like easy means easy. And then you go you literally, if I'm not mistaken, I bet you if you look at your training log. That week that you ran 540 average for six mile for six by a mile, the day before you might have ran nine minute pace for your recovery yeah. run. Yeah, and people don't believe it. People don't believe it. But if you talk about polarized training executed, hard is hard, easy is easy. Dumb. Yeah. And some days my easy will be eight fifteen and some days it'll be nine forty. It just absolutely depends how my body is from the day before. Um and I don't even really look at heart rate as in I'm never keeping myself in check because I know I'm all, I barely ever go into zone two. And that's why I've messaged you guys about that before. I was like, am I leaving something on the table not going into zone two? Um, I think I had a 112 heart rate once and I was like, Kirk, this is not a mistake. It really was 112. <laughs> Do you remember our response to that question? Yeah. Because your question was, am I leaving something on the table if I'm not leaving zone one on a lot of my easy days? Yeah. What did we respond to that? If you're still progressing, don't change it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's still, that refers back to your keep it simple mentality. You listened to that and you said, okay, sure. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people that either I work with or reach out to us say something like, you know, I'm shooting for 740 on my easy days. And I just like red lights are going off in my, in my mind. Like that, that's the, that's the problem. Yeah. You won't find more than maybe 10% of all the fast people on this planet who shoot for a pace on their easy days. No, don't care. It was it's hard it was hard to start with because my easy days now are slower than when I was just running easy, which is really hard to grasp. Like I used to run 8:30 and now I'm sometimes in the 9s, but and you think, "Oh god, how am I going to run quick if I'm running in the 9s?" It 
it works. This interview has not gone how I thought. This just keeps leading down. I feel like a lot of people tell their story and then some people tell their story and drop nuggets of like truth bombs. And Natasha just keeps dropping these nuggets of wisdom that every runner needs to hear. And I, I love seeing it through the eyes of someone who came to the sport late because they don't have bad habits. And if they do, they can switch them quick because they didn't have their two or three different elementary and middle and high school post-secondary coaches that have all steered them some way in their team that tries to self-coach. You're just doing what needs to be done and you people need to hear these things. I love it. I did have quite a few people say, don't do strength work. It will slow you down. Don't believe that one. <laughs> I believed that for years. Don't believe that one. <laughs> that probably, we could dive We could make another half an hour out of that one yeah. comment. But for the sake of moving on, because there's still two things I definitely want to get. Uh, Spartan, okay, we, we literally were going into your journey and then we went on like a 30 minute, you know, deep dive here. So how'd you find the sport and, and what has been your experience and success so far? Uh, in in truth, there was a 40% off advert on Facebook. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I had just done the uh, few months before that was when I'd done my sub three marathon and I completely lost my mojo. I had no goals. I was like, Oh, what now? There's I don't just want to keep chasing seconds and minutes off road running. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I'd never seen an obstacle. I'd never been in the gym. I'd never touched a weight. I think I did 240 burpees. I did a beast in my first one, but I was quick um, and I did win. I don't know how. And that made me go, huh, this is quite fun. I'm going to join a gym. And then elite? elite, you won your first elite Spartan race with 240 burpees. Yeah, I don't know how. By running really fast in between. That's how I was. I was, I was very quick. What year was this? Well, yeah, end of 2016. So that was probably quite good because it gave me over the winter to think, ah, I should probably join a gym um, and maybe get a bit stronger because that hoist was going nowhere. That uh, Atlas stone ball took me forever to get up. Um, the bucket was horrendous. Uh, yeah, so I joined a gym, um, got a little bit stronger. The next year, I, st I think I podiumed every race and I think I there wasn't an official series at that point but they had the points um I was top of the points um for the UK that year um and then every year since I've just kind of tried to learn but I've never really pulled it all together until recently I've always done strength work I started calisthenics uh probably I haven't really done it over the past year for obvious reasons but I found that like things like my grip I couldn't do pull-ups um so I did join a calisthenics group which really really helped me I went from doing no pull-ups to pull-ups with 16 kg around my waist like for one <laughs> um but that was really yeah that was really good for me um so I think that helped me a lot um I've always touch wood been either like first second or third in most of my races apart from a, a handful um probably my biggest success was the Euros in 2019 um I was rubbish at the balance stuff. I fell off the slack line and the balance beam and I missed my spear. <laughs> um, but I got six in the beast and I won the sprint. So that was like highlight for me. That was amazing. And I only went to do the sprint the next day because I thought, I don't remember any of the beast because you're just in the pain cave. I want to go and enjoy it because it was beautiful. And I 
was so sore but the minute I started running it was like I think because I was so relaxed and I had no pressure on myself it I just I was like your two days when you were talking about two day races that kind of hit home for me because I had such a good day on Sunday and I just I flew around it um and that was probably like the best moment of my Spartan career so far I think yeah I, I don't know hearing like you know you, you basically took top tape top three in all of your races yet overseas here we don't you know we don't know who you are that's kind of silly because you would you would know the athletes who take top three over here in the states. I wish like the reverse osmosis would work that way, and it just hasn't, which is really too bad. It's also too bad that you haven't been able to stick your neck into like the U.S. racing scene as well a whole lot. I mean, what you went to Tahoe one year, and you, live, you you had hypothermia, and you live at sixty feet above sea level. Like, yeah, you're gonna go peak at nine thousand feet. Of course, you're gonna feel like heck, right? I had said, I did have, everyone said, oh, you do, you can't address for it. My God, I had a thermal rash vest on. I had a, a kayaking jacket on, which wasn't breathable. I had a thermal hat on, I had my bleg mitts, and it still got me. I'm just rubbish in the cold. To come all the way over and then have hypothermia. I couldn't believe it. I was like, of course, of course it snows. <laughs> Typical. And that's that's the problem of our setup of our system, right? There's not enough cash on regular races to make it worth flying overseas for it. The only races that are enough cash are at altitude in the mountains and they're it's like a one off. If, if if you're not good at this, then yeah, the UK is not as strong where Yeah. And I would love it, it would be amazing to. I mean, the Euros was the first pro I'd say proper mountain race I've ever done. And Oh, it was it was hard, but I loved it, and I was actually quite surprised how well I did. Um, considering I'd never run on terrain like that before, so it, I wish we could, but yeah, it's just not feasible, unfortunately. Well, and how many races in the UK have been won when someone comes over from the US? I don't think we've ever had a since I've been in. We've never had it. We've had Miriam, I say, from France. She came and did our series last year, but I don't think we've ever really had anyone from the US come over. Johnny Rolima, Matt Novakovic. Yeah, they didn't win. Kent took second. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in the women's side, we've never had anyone. Yeah, OCR Worlds. Yeah. The men don't do well from the US over there. Maybe it's the different terrain. Maybe because <laughs> we're all so used to what we train yeah. on. And, that, and that's my point, that you guys come over for Tahoe and don't always win. And then we say, yeah, that just shows the US is stronger at everything. But... When we go over there for OCR Worlds, we don't win, and no one seems to care about that. They just say, oh, that's just all obstacles. That's not our OCR race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you two, please come over. We'd love to see you. <laughs> I'd love to come over. All right. That, I'll tell you what, that Wales race coming up looks beautiful. I can't wait. I was really gutted. Yeah, the trail race I was meant to do end of this month was around the same location, mm. um, but it's been cancelled. So I really hope, because the Black Mountains look gorgeous. I want to... Um, I want to shift again, just because I'm kind of looking at the clock here. I, I want to shift to what you've had going on recently. So, and I think this is something that people need to hear. So we've just been building you up, Natasha. Oh, she's running 540 pace for six by a mile. What a stud and sub five for these quarter mile repeats and all that. But it hasn't been rainbows and butterflies for you recently. This last, I'm going to say six months has been really, really fucking tough. And that's the only way to put it, right? And here you are smiling. Um, and it's this, you have an extreme case of what had been happening. I would say very extreme, but it's not an uncommon case at all. So can you walk us through like what had been going on with you the last six 
what six months would we say is that fair yeah Eight yeah probably yeah probably since the start of the year i'd say is when i first really started to notice it really thank yeah why don't you tell us what's been going on because i think there's going to be people out here that might prompt them to go to the doctor to be honest and i pushed you hard yeah sure it was um i think when i look back now and i look back through my log because i color my log um I started to, yeah, I do. I started to notice um, probably just easy runs were not as low heart rate as normal, which was odd for me. Um, and then I started to, it was very slow to start with. And I'm not really sure what the catalyst was for it suddenly just went really downhill. I was getting to the point where in workouts, my paces were really dropping off in like workouts that I'd done before. And I knew what sort of, I know we say about pace, but when you look back, I was like, I just feel off and it's too consistent. Um, then it got to the point where I was getting headaches in the day and I never get headaches. I, I'm like nine o'clock, I'm falling asleep. I was really tired, but I wasn't falling asleep. Um, and then when I started to be like, you know, my low resting heart rate's around 50 and I'd walk up the stairs and feel my heart thumping. And I looked at my Garmin and it was 116 just walking up the stairs. I'm like, something's seriously wrong. And then I started having to stop workouts because, and that's not like me, is it, Kirk? Like I don't, I, I've modified a couple if I've had asthma in the winter and stuff like that. I've changed to a tempo or something like that. But to the point of, I'd do a rep and then I would fall apart. And I still remember saying to Kirk, Maybe it's my asthma. Maybe it's because it's cold and I'm just struggling with my breathing. But and I think then because I can't breathe, my legs are starting to feel like jelly, like going up a hill. Like I just feel like I'm falling apart. Or is it because my legs are tired that my breathing's having to work harder? I couldn't figure out what was causing what. Um, and I think it was because of that log and how downhill it was going. And Kirk just happened to say to me, have you had your iron tested? And I said, well, I've had my hormones tested re like a couple of years ago and I just happened to notice on there that my iron was at, at what they would call low, um, which actually now I found out is for an athlete very low, but doctors don't really call it out. So I, I was on an iron supplement. I was on vitamin D, B, yeah, all of it. Um, so I started to take the liquid iron, just made me feel sick. And it, you know, and then I went and got my bloods tested um and I had to go private because I couldn't get into the doctors for about another three weeks I said I just I just can't wait anymore I felt so awful um and my ferritin I think was six uh my hemoglobin was <laughs> just six do you know how low six is I mean it's it should be in the hundreds yeah if there's somebody who's healthy yeah six six that's like how did you walk in the door I mean I, I remember going for a walk with my friend and Oxygen is not binding with your red blood cells at that. You have no facilitator of oxygen transport in your body. Yeah, it was, it was not, it was not, it was not fun. I'm going to look up my last test result while you're doing this, just so to yeah. compare. I have one too, yeah, just recently, but continue. I've actually got my second round of blood tests tomorrow, so I'll give you an update in a couple of weeks. But yeah, it was, uh, that was, uh, my hemoglobin levels were very, very low. Um, everything around iron was just through the floor, to be honest. So that was almost a relief. I remember messaging you and going, I'm actually feeling really positive now because I, I think this is like obviously the cause because I was so, I was just getting so, I didn't even want to go out the door for an easy run. I was just dreading it because I was just, I'm going to feel awful and I don't know why. And I just thought 
I'm I'm really unfit. What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would never even have thought to get my bloods tested, to be honest, because I was taking all the, the supplements and the vitamins. So I, I just assumed my diet is really good. Um, so yeah, it was only you prompting me to get tested that it made me realize how bad it was. <laughs> I know Bracken's looking at his number and now I want to look at mine. What was yours? <laughs> I don't have it up yet. I, I have to log in. Now, mine was on the lower. Mine was on the lower end of acceptable. I remember that. And women out there, apparently, we have to have three times the amount of men. Um, and it it made me realize because I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to this stuff. I proper went in hard on the research. How hard it is to absorb the iron out your food, um, mm. even if you're covering all of your bases, which I was. It, it's so hard to get the amount that you need. I think they were saying minimum. 18 milligrams is what a woman needs. And, you know, we all think like a big piece of liver's got loads and it's like six and you don't absorb it all. So it's like, oh, mm -hmm. okay. so I was never going to, you know, be doing without supplementation. There was no way. I have three numbers here. My iron is at 91. My iron binding capacity is at 350. <laughs> the other one's irrelevant, but they're not ferritin. But even 91 is considered the, the low range, they say, is 35 and above. Uh, up to 180. I mean, that's six here. All right. What was yours, Kirk? What was your iron and ferritin? 91 and then 350. They're different numbers, though. There's different markers. And I don't have a ferritin marker, which is different. All right. My iron is 120. Yeah, and I'm at 91 on that marker. And my ferritin is 60. Yeah, my ferritin was six. My iron was seven. So <laughs> standard range, it says 13 to 300, ideal range 65 to 200. So my 60 is a little low. And they said that if it gets any lower, I should think about supplementation. <laughs> I was 10 times yours. And I was on supplementation. <laughs> that's, that's wild. So what do you think? Because this is, I mean, on my iron, this is actually when I got my iron, these results are from like a few weeks ago. It was a huge, uh, I had iron deficiency, very low. My test, I tested at uh, 13 or 16. And I was feeling like hell. Last year during COVID, when I raced in Jacksonville, I was in that state and every run sucked. And I went and raced and had no idea what was going on. And I've done it through. Luckily, I got injured. I hate to say luckily. And I took five months off of running. And guess what happened? Let my body build back up. And now my iron. And I've been supplementing some and eating purposefully. But um, what do you think led to that? Because it's such a common thing. And women like often will feel like crap regularly and they accept that as part of how training is and it's not how training should be like even if you're deconditioned it shouldn't be like that so like what what led up what do you think what do you think led up to it how did it happen do you have any idea i absolutely have no idea and um <laughs> another issue that a lot of women you know, that i have but a lot, i thought i maybe had reds and i know i spoke to you about this kirk but actually you know we discussed that my hormones have always been low and I assume my iron has always been low. And I thought, I was like, I eat so much, maybe it's reds and we up my calories by 500 a day and nothing was happening. And then I was like, ah, low iron causes anemia. Oh, so anemia. I had anemia and it can cause anemia. Um, so it's a bit <laughs> backwards, isn't it? Because Having your menstrual cycle as a woman means that you need more iron because you're obviously losing iron every month. If you, you're low iron, you then lose that. Um, so I, I don't know what the actual cause of the low iron was for it to drop off so drastically. I know I was low anyway. Um, I can't think necessarily because like my volume with you, Kirk, is actually lower than it's ever been. 
Um, so it's not like I've been pounding my body harder and we've been doing 70 mile weeks and all of this kind of thing. And, that, you know, my body's just not been able to handle it. So I, there's nothing I can particularly pinpoint as to why it happened, which you know makes me from now on, I'm definitely going to get my bloods tested every, you know, at least two, three times a year just to keep on top of it. Um, cause it might just be, unfortunately, my natural state is always going to be that it's always going to be a bit lower. Um, but it's much more common than I realized when I started looking into it. Well, I think it's like, if you, if you have, you know, there's such thing as a bad week or a few bad workouts or fatigue mounting, but I think the big lesson there, and it was like, when you walk into the wall three times, what do you do? You take the door, right? And that proverbial wall walking into is every time you put the running shoes on, you're off. And you'd be, oh, it's life fatigue, or I haven't slept enough, or maybe it's my diet, or it's work stress. But our bodies are pretty dang capable to even pop something on a night where we don't get good sleep, or we haven't eaten perfectly. Like everybody's more resilient, like physiologically than you believe. And if you're weeks in and you're consistently underperforming, you haven't miraculously fallen out of shape, right? There's probably something going on. And just don't wait. What's the harm in going in and getting something tested and getting answers? And if it's not that, then you can look at other factors. But it's just so damn common that like even people who say they relatively feel good or every once in a while I have a bad workout, like a real bad workout, like go get checked. Yeah. I think we're actually really lucky that we are in a position by doing all this stuff. We get to know our bodies really well. um, And we've got if you're measuring a log, you've got the metrics there to back it up. You know, I knew things were off either, but either they were small things to start with that I probably could have brushed away. Um, but because I know my body, I was like, something is wrong. And everyone around me, like, you know, was saying, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're still doing right. And I'm like, I know. I know. And you, Kurt, were the only one that really said, yeah, I think I agree with you. And recently I sent you my color logs, didn't I? My, my report, I was like, all I'm going to say is this. And I sent, Kirk, four weeks ago, my colors of my chart. Tell them what you do. Tell them what you do for your. Oh, so like, yeah, I've got like a little color rag status of my workouts, depending on how they felt. So it's like bright green means I kicked the out of that workout. It was great. Um, A darker green means had a really good workout. Uh, Yellow means, yeah, it was okay. Orange is like, "Mm, that was awful. And red is, yeah, I didn't. I didn't finish it. So it's quite easy to see. And it was all oranges, reds. Um, And then I had that week and it was like one yellow. Wednesdays is usually yellow because they always feel rubbish after a Tuesday. And I was like, I always just put typical Wednesday now, don't I? And then the rest was like bright greens and dark greens. And it was like, look at the difference. And I feel like I feel like a rock star in every workout now. Another Natasha simplification. I looked at yeah. my colors and my colors were this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you keep a historical record, it doesn't lie to you. No. And, it, and again, something's wrong. You go get seen. Kirk, I sent three people for blood testing this past month. Good man. Same kind of thing with you, Natasha, where we couldn't explain it away by training. We couldn't explain it. It was too frequent. It's either you're something freakish is happening or something's medically wrong. I'm talking about doing 9.30 at a 1.31 heart rate when usually that would be 1.15, 1.18 for me. It's it's obviously always a cost for someone to go to the doctor, but blood panels are <laughs> relatively, for what they can prevent, they're relatively affordable. And as an athlete, and anyone who's training is an athlete, as an athlete, it's worth knowing. Best money I ever spent. Yeah. 
How did they tell you how far you were away from like catastrophic meltdown? I was severely anemic. They said already. Yeah, I, I, honest, I don't think I could have carried on running many more weeks because I was just. Well, you were walking during runs, like somebody who came. You were walking. You were cutting them short. You were you know, the signs. Running was on the wall with you. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. I was struggling walking up the stairs. So. So what was the the return process like? I'm sure you're not all the way back, but what has that process been like oh, from day one yeah. till now? So, so um, I couldn't have the straight like saline solution because, you know, but they give, gave me a couple of uh, smaller infusions and I've got my second follow-up blood test tomorrow to make sure that that was enough and then I might need a, a top up. Um, and then I just have to keep on top of it and I'll just keep on with the supplementation. I can't take the liquid, but I'll just keep on the pills and take them late at night with some vitamin C. So hopefully try and keep on top of it that way. But honestly, within 10 days, I saw a difference within three weeks. It was night and day. It was like a complete 180. Our tendency as humans and especially as athletes is to procrastinate hearing bad news. It's if we need new shoes, we're going to go buy them immediately. Buy that the truth. <laughs> if we rip our favorite pair of socks, we're going to buy them that night. If our race is canceled, we're going to turn and find our next race right away. And if we feel crappy in training and we might need to see a doctor about it, we're going to wait six to nine weeks until someone forces us to do it. And it does not line up with all the other things. If we will take care of our shoes and we'll roll out our IT bands after every time that something happens where they could be tight and we'll do all these other things that we can do, why do we avoid hearing the potential medical bad news? And it's obviously because we can't control it ourselves, but you're the poster child for it took 10 days to start to undo it. Why did I wait weeks? That's what people need to hear. Yeah, and I probably would never have, thought to even get tested until Kirk just went, eh, have you thought about your iron? I went, no, <laughs> actually I hadn't. I'm surprised how not top of mind that is for people. Okay, it is now. Yeah. I was sh I was shocked that one little vitamin or mineral, whichever it is, I'm going to sound uneducated there can affect you so much. So yeah, get tested people. <laughs> it affects such a high percentage of athletes, especially female endurance athletes. Like you, if you string together more than a week, it's the first thing you have to think about. Yeah, for sure. That and, vit oh, and vitamin D, vitamin B, all of them are so important. Yeah. And B is a precursor to our body making its own iron. So even just being on a B complex, it's kind of a, a gateway uh, maker of iron, so to speak. So it's just one to be good on maintenance and as far as cellular energy too. But um, okay, I'm looking at the clock. We could talk all day. I have one last question for you. Um, and that is where can, what's your plans for this racing season? I mean, I know them, but what is your plans for this racing season? Are any of us people in the States ever going to see you race and butt heads with the, the big dogs over here? And, and what's your plans? Uh, pandemic allowing, hopefully. <laughs> I definitely want to do all the um, UK series races, um, some trail races sprinkled in there as well. Um, and then depending on what happens, I'd like to do some of the championship races like the Euros, possibly Greece, the Worlds. We'll just have to see what happens. But if they don't happen, then I'd potentially maybe the like to focus on a marathon for next year. And I'd quite like to aim for a sub hour, 10 miler. I'm throwing that out there. I think I can do it with Kirk. I think you can too. That's fine. I like that. Oh, and sub, we've got to do a sub 17 5k, just that one as well. You got a big year. Yeah, busy 2021. <laughs> Big aspirations. <laughs> I don't know you as an athlete, so just to round out my 
my knowledge of you, what, if you were to run a marathon, what's your ideal type of course? Uh, Maybe something like Berlin, I reckon, because it's yeah. fast. I've only ever done London or trail marathons. So okay. London's great for the atmosphere, but I've heard Berlin is a PB, and I'd like to know what Kirk thinks I could potentially do. So we'll talk about that. I think if you're going to run a marathon, like if you're going to do it for real, like go hit the flattest course you can find Absolutely. and get a marker out there and then toy around with it. Well, you're going to break 250 for sure. <laughs> I'm just okay, so then OCR wise, if you were to line up with all the U.S. women in the sport, what type of course do you want to showcase your skills on? What's your type of off-road course? Oh, I don't know. I quite like grinding. Yeah, so, yeah, pr- probably something a beast for sure. West Virginia, you would crush West Virginia. Rolling three hundred foot climbs, but still runnable. West, not at altitude. West Virginia. Yeah. yeah, something a bit of a mix where I can open up on the flats, but also a bit of grinding as well. I'll tell you what, maybe if it opens up by then, you should come over for August and then Kirk and I can make our way across the pond for a race as well. I'll cut you a deal, handshake deal. There you go, through the screen. <laughs> that would be for epic. That was a handshake I just saw there. Yep, you're on. <laughs> deal. <laughs> um, I'm very biased as your coach, obviously. Obviously. Uh, you're, you're a wonderful student and a hard and smart worker. Um, but I would like to see you in Abu Dhabi against whoever decides to show up at sea level. I think, I don't know. I mean, we, we like to, Brack and I, we like to do this. We like to say, this is going to be the next one you need to watch out for. We've done it with a lot of people. Uh, you're the first one we've done that with that's not in the U.S. Um, so I encourage people to follow along and see what happens. There's a little pressure on you now, Natasha. Oh, let, let me see if I can prove that you're never too old. That's what me and Kirk tell each other, isn't it? I, I don't, nobody tells me that. I used to think it till up till I met you. <laughs> My PBs have come at the ripe old age of thirty-seven. So you're a young thirty-seven. According to your teeth, you're like twenty-six still. So according <laughs> to her teeth, she's fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be the person pring into your forties. That would be nice. Well, Natasha, thanks for coming on. No, thank you for having me, guys. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. When you wake up tomorrow, it'll be Friday where you're from. It will. And I, it's my bedtime and I've not had my dinner yet. We're in the middle of our day here, but it'll be, you know, pop it fresh for you tomorrow. A nice four mile easy. So uh, I'm going to go kill it. You know better. <laughs> I just want to see dark or light green. Oh, yeah. Well, as long as that, I'll reserve that one for Saturday. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Natasha.